Welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And today we are with Melanie Curtis, who actually her highest accolade is like, I just adore her. She's also a consultant, a coach, an author, a speaker, a skydiver. But in general, she is the Sherpa for type A's who are looking to have a more compassionate and fulfilling and still successful life. How are you today, Melanie? Rich, I love you. I am so thrilled to be here and I'm excited for this. So let's dive in, whatever. And like full disclosure, Melanie was my coach for a year. And I, you know, when we were working together, I never would have imagined like in my wildest dreams that I would be interviewing you on a podcast about relationships. Right. Because like, at the time, leads us at the time I was running like this <laughs> landscape design company and, you know, Melanie was trying to help me keep my hair. Life takes us in interesting places, doesn't it, my friend? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I will add that, Melanie, I'm going to say for everyone that you uh, so much inspired me to do to become a coach in the way that you worked with me and the way that you were present with me. Uh, and I'm e just eternally grateful for our friendship and for the work that we did together. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, Thank you. I, I want that on the record recorded. I right. receive you. I receive yeah. it. And I love you so much. And so today, what inspired this is on my birthday, Melanie sent me this book that she wrote with some friends called With Our Whole Broken Hearts and Complete Transparency. I thought, Oh, a book that a friend's written. I guess I'm <laughs> going to have to look at this, right? Because how many friends do we have that have written books? I've actually have a lot of friends that have written books. But I started to read this book and I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And so in alignment with some of the people, the needs of some of the people that I work with, we've got to talk about this book. Yeah, it's. I really think it is one of the hidden gems. I create so much. I put out so much content. I'm, I'm very prolific in my creating and my self-expressing. It's part of my soul fuel. It's part of my business. It's a really integral part of my existence. Um, but this particular piece of work, I'm very excited that it's getting its own, a little bit of its own airtime because it's, it's really underserved piece. And it's, oh, I send it to every person that I feel like needs it that is in a period of heartbreak that is maybe struggling you know it's we wrote it with the intention of it being a friend so it's being it's the person who maybe doesn't know how to support someone in heartbreak or going through a divorce or something like that and so you read the stories in inside that are very intimate very honest and raw and real and our hope is that those reading it feel less alone in their own pain and their own process. And so that's, so I really appreciate the space to talk about it. Yeah. And so some people will be listening to this. Some people will be watching it. So I held it up for the people who are watching it. The people who are listening also with our whole broken hearts, it is, um, it's presented. It's, it's almost like, um, well, it's a it's a series of stories, but there's no there's no index in it. There isn't an you know, introduction by a famous author. It's very organic and warm um, and you go through it. There, it's this great mix of of uh, like the heart of Melanie and the other authors uh, and these incredible graphic images 
Um, and it's also broken up into sections, which which I kind of went through. There's the, there's the unknown. There's uh, what is it? It, it, it? The shattering moment, red flags, bottoming out and confidence. You know, and so the, and it's very logical. The sections are very logical, but still it's got this great you, you read it. Uh, it looks handwritten. And you know what it reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of no, nobody's young and uh, old enough to remember this book. Be Here Now by Baba Ram Dass. So oh, Ram Dass, uh, yes. yeah, Richard Alpert, who's like Ram Dass is what's up. Oh, people, people still into him. Cool. Yeah. You know, so uh, <laughs> but I mean, that that book, it had the same that book has the same feeling. It was like it's more like a creation than a book is probably yeah. the best way to put it. It's a graphic memoir. But even in terms of graphic memoir creation, it is that much more organic. So it doesn't look and feel like a comic book, which a lot of graphic memoirs can, which are, can still be very rich and beautiful and raw and real and all the things. But one of my co-authors, Kirsten Kramer, she is the artist that drew all of the images in the, in the book. Um, but yeah, the images support the storytelling in a really profound way, I think. And Yes, the stories would be absolutely rich and powerful, I think, on their own. But with the images in this graphic memoir format, it makes it that much stronger. And the other thing I like about this book is you can read it in 20 minutes or 25 minutes. Uh -huh. You know, it's not a book like, oh, God, I have to sit. It's it's really like one sitting, devour it, and you'll you're going to feel something as a result of that. Yep. And there were two images that got me right from the beginning, right? The first one is in the very beginning, there's a picture of a heart with some uh, some of that caution tape around it that says under construction. And I thought, oh, wow, so sweet. And then I went to the next page and there's an image <laughs> of that same heart and it's been run over. Like there's track, tire track marks over it. And it says, just think positive. And I thought like that grabbed me because like the problem I have with so many coaches in particular, like I have a whole rant I've done about coaches since I read this book, uh, yeah. is that there's a whole movement in coaching that you should always focus on the positive and work with affirmations. And you know, those hurt feelings and sadness, they're all and pain, that's all good and everything. But really, you know, you wanna stay positive because where you look is where you end up. And if you spend time in that stuff, you know, you're just gonna be sad and angry and unhappy forever. Yeah. And I think there's something really missing in, in that approach. Absolutely. Uh, so no I'd love no. to hear more about that, like what inspired that image and how did, how is how does the book express that? It's that image in particular. I think it's important that the book opens with those two images because it. I think we all can relate on some level to a broken heart, whether it is in a divorce process, whether it is in loss of a loved one, whether it is in loss of a job or some other really catastrophic life-changing moment. And then we also can relate to that culture that you just described that is about this sort of overt uber positivity, which absolutely, in my opinion, entirely misses the mark because it it's like how Brene Brown describes it. And she says, you cannot selectively numb. So if we avoid the dark corners of our psyche and our hearts and we avoid the grief and we bury it and we close it up, it well, will come out in more toxic and painful ways later, or it will literally kill you physically. That's my opinion. And if we 
do have the bravery to go there, to get help with our therapist, to cry, to talk to our friends, to go to that retreat, to whatever, just face the darkness that's there for us. That gives way to levels of joy and connection that we cannot access otherwise. Yeah. And let me just say that, you know, we're doing this episode uh, post I'm going to call it post-pandemic, even though, you know, there's still stuff going on out there. And one of the big concerns that I and many other folks have had is that there hasn't has not been a lot of uh, expression of grief of the two years of the losses that we had, all kinds of losses. And what happens when we don't have expression of grief is we shut down emotionally or we explode Mm -hmm. uh, in all kinds of unexpected ways. And, you know, if you look at what's going on in the world right now, it's no wonder that the economy is a little sideways and there's a lot of fear out there, mm-hmm. a lot of uncertainty out there, a lot of aggression going on. It just seems to all have come out at once. And it isn't just the media, folks. But mm-hmm. the other part of this is um, in it isn't at first, I sort of like started out saying, oh, my problem with the coaching industry, it's not really the coaching industry. There's something about American culture in particular. You know, uh, there's this uh, when the going gets rough, that the, the tough, the, the tough, tough get, get going. going. And when you fall off a horse, you get back in the saddle. And, you know, we have a whole culture that's built on stay positive, keep yep. moving forward, stay focused on the goal. Hard and, work, play, work hard, play hard. Right. And and there's nothing wrong with that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you fall off the horse and you've broken a bone and you don't reset it, there's going to be a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. I liken heartbreak to physical surgery Mm -hmm. or some kind of physical pain. No one would ever, ever question a person taking some time to heal and recover if they broke their leg. Not one person yet when we break our heart and we have an emotional wound that is just as literally painful, there's science behind that. We, we don't allow that, that, that we don't actually have space for that. And I think that is a, a really important thing. I think when we talk about it in terms of culture shift, I love that it's being talked about as a culture shift. And I think the pandemic, at least in my experience, forced so many of us, at least for me, I can only speak for my experience, but man, I, you know, me, Rich, I, I really am. I'm a highly energetic person because I am really fueled by what I do. Like, I know how you usually start your podcast. You're like, what was your heart's calling to your stuff? And it's like, for me, I love my work. I love people. I love real and honest connection, which is why I can so rigorously hold space, right? So you've experienced that with me, and, right? And by the way, how did your heart lead you to your work? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my answer, is, is that, that true calling, you know, that calling in me to connect and be deeply and, and honestly and wholly connected with, with the people that I love. And for me, my spiritual practice and my spiritual, I don't know, just, I don't know, existence. I don't even know what to call it, but like that part of my life expands to humanity, to other things. So Mm -hmm. that love is, I, I 
aim to practice in those universal love spaces. It doesn't mean I don't have boundaries and I let people who, you know, disrespect or don't respect all those things. I don't let those people close to me. That's the more micro of skill building. But when I think about what's drawn me to my career and why, why do I self-express? Why do I torture myself to be a writer at all is because (laughs) I believe that kind of expressing and that kind of sharing from the depth of my experience and pain and joy and whatever humanness is of highest service to the world and to myself. So both I get it expressed out of my body and I am being of service at the same time. It's like the ultimate win-win. Yeah. I I think of it as a triple win because you win, the people in your immediate space win, and then there's the benefit to the greater good. Totally. Love it. Love it. Hey, and so um, let's go back to the book for a second. So here's okay. what, I, here's what I'm thinking, what I'm thinking about this. What I know about grief, about sadness, about hurt, about fear, about anger, uh, about even blame is that the seeds of what we really want and need are, there's like the, are inside of that. And so the problem when we ignore those feelings is that we ignore what we really want. Mm -hmm. We may think we're going for what we really want, but we can't really know what we really want until we look at what most hurts us or what most threatens us or what most makes us angry. So how, tell me, tell us more about how this journey in this book, taking you from, you know, your heart being broken to being where are we at the end of the book where Phoenix rising and onward is what, you know, is what comes up at the end, towards the end of the book. How does it, how does it take you through that process of having the pain and finding those kernels and rising yeah. upward? Yeah. Great question. I imagine the process is different for everyone in terms of the details, obviously, but if we think about pain and grief, and however pain might make itself into our existence, whether we have a trauma as a young person, whether we have uh, you know, early family experiences that drive w- how we limit ourselves, those things are very heavy. They're super, super heavy. They're energetically heavy and they suck energy. They're like black holes. Mm-hmm. And- I think people, if we really think about it, I would invite people listening, honestly, to really consider this, just to reflect on this. Cause we can, we can see this, like there's this sort of negative quote unquote energy that is very heavy. And so the, the beauty in going toward those things and actually working to like get them out, however, we're going to figure out how to do that through whatever healing modalities we find when those things are actually uprooted and pulled out, there is an unbelievable energy surge of possibility of connection. We feel free. So it's, it sounds kind of not that inspiring, I think, to talk about it generically, but like in the, in the space of the story, it's, if I, what I love about the story And so this, I kind of feel like I have to share some of my story in the sense that I described my deep calling to being in connection with others. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that I would have a corresponding fear around being disconnected from others. And so when I, as a person would experience perceived rejection or disconnection, 
or withdrawal. If we talk about the more clinical therapeutic anxious attachment type of experience for people, that was extremely triggering for me and extremely painful for me. And so I had to figure that out. Like why? So I had to go there. I had to really go there. And this is a years long process for me, Rich. So it's not quick work, but Mm -hmm. it is so, so necessary. And so you see that in the story too, like in my heartbreak, I have systems of support, like the section where I write about my clients who stuck with me while I was taking this world tour, trying to find myself and challenge the model of mobile entrepreneurship and do this big thing because I had this vast void in my life that I didn't anticipate. I was trying to turn it into something really good and it was good, but I still was really, really heartbroken at that time. But it was so cool also. Full disclosure, I was on calls with Melanie while she was on the world tour and she'd be like calling me from, you know, a bathroom in Bombay or something like it wasn't quite that bad. But, you know, she would say, you know, it's a little noisy here. There's stuff going on. I don't know if my connection is okay. And it would be. And I was just like, yeah, let's do this. I was like, was so inspiring that Melanie was like, I've I've decided one of the things that made me want to move into coaching was, wow, that's so cool. She can work from anywhere. Yeah. Nothing's nothing is stopping her. I want to be unstoppable. So, you know, I want you to know that like you were, you were struggling and going through some stuff and it was totally inspiring. Thank you. I'm, I mean, that was the hope, you know, and that's, I think something also really important to talk about. And when we talk about heartbreak and if we're trying to be of service to people listening who are in the heartbreak experience or in the divorce experience, it can feel so easy inside of that pain and that struggle to feel like we can't do anything else, Mm -hmm. or we have to put things on pause because we're, we're not at a hundred percent. I don't know about you, man, but it is rare that I show up to any space and feel actually legitimately quote unquote, 100% prepared. It is almost a never scenario. And that's, and that might seem impossible because I do a great job. You know, I'm not even dissing myself. I, I know I do a great job, but like the world tour is such a great example because that was the, the, like the heart of when this book was really occurring, the stories that mm-hmm. were in the book. And it speaks to how much we actually can do even when we're in such a challenged state. So we can allow ourselves to to entertain possibilities and that can be soul fuel in itself on top of the safe and supportive systems and people that we have around us. And um, we're gonna go a little over today, folks. Just (laughs) just heads up, this is Melanie. We're gonna go a little longer today Uh, and I, I want to drive home um, why it's so important to embrace the negative or destructive feelings. And by by embrace, I don't mean uh, like you get angry and you know you decide that you're just going to be angry and like ride that wave of rage. That's not embracing. That's that's when the feeling is having you, and that's not something we really want. That the, the never that feeling rarely has taken me any place good. I'll just put it to you that way. Yeah. Um. Like the only time setting I can imagine that might be helpful is if I'm under physical attack. You know, and I really need that kind of insane energy that, you know, that I'm going to fight against all the odds. I don't care if I die, I'm going to kill anybody. Like, that's the only place I can see where that feeling might have a place. And uh, honestly, I haven't been put in that situation since I was 15. So, you know, like there's it's pretty rare that any of us confront that. 
But the importance of these feelings is uh, the importance of having them or giving ourselves the space to have them uh, is, as Melanie pointed out, if we don't have them, they suck the emotional energy out of everything else. And uh, sort of going to what I was saying earlier about the seeds of what we want being in there, um, it's also part of like any transition. Like I'm thinking about my, I, I'm working with a lot of people who are divorcing a toxic spouse right now. Uh -huh. And so the transition that they're making is who they, who they thought they were going to be with that person when they met yeah. them. Oh my God, they were so fabulous. They were in love. They had dreams they created in their own minds, if not with the other person. Um, and then there was the reality of what was going on, uh, which usually shows up when they have kids with them. Um, they're, they're like, wait a minute, you, that might be okay for you to talk to me that way, but this is an innocent. You can't, you can't be like that with them. The reality of the situation comes to them. And in order to move from that, you know, in order to, there, there's like the loss of that dream. There's the yep. sense of being a victim that you, that you put your children in a relationship with them, however irrational that is, because you wouldn't have those kids unless you were married to that person, but it's still there. It's still present. There's guilt and shame of, of oh my God, I exposed myself to that. You know, you, if, if we don't have, allow ourselves to have all of those feelings, then we are, th those feelings are forever present and pulling us down. But when we allow ourselves to have them, and uh, you know, let's say like in a, a limited setting, like a mourning. Let's call yeah, like yeah. mourning. You know, like when somebody you love passes away. In some cultures, you sit for six or seven days and you just allow yourself to mourn, and you don't even have to bathe. And people feed you, and you sit there and whine and complain, and everyone says, "Oh yes, it's so awful." And then on like day seven, you get off your ass, you take a shower, you put on some colorful clothes, and you're like, "All right, I'm done with that." It doesn't mean that you don't experience <laughs> sadness afterwards, but there's a, a beginning and an end. And, and you allow yourself to really have it so that you can release it, Yeah. right? If we don't allow ourselves to have that kind of experience with these feelings, you know, we don't, it's almost impossible to really see what the next steps are, what the future is, what, the, what is that bright and shiny future? What is yeah. that compelling future that's going to drive my life? What are the things that bring me joy? Because that stuff is just in the way. And that's what makes this this work and this kind of book, you know, like with our whole broken hearts, so important is that it, 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 it validates that process. Yeah. And it is a process. Like that's something I think we should speak to is that we first it for most people, every single client I have ever worked with and whether they're experiencing heartbreak or some other kind of challenge, all are emotionally based Every single client, including myself, wants things to happen sooner than they happen. I cannot tell you how many times in my I want heart, what I want when I want, and I it. want it right now. <laughs> how many times, right? In my heartbreak journey and my healing journey, was I like, WTF? What the hell am I missing? Why is this taking so long? This right. is like the cleanest conversation you and I have ever had right here. <laughs> like, WTF, that was good. <laughs> Look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm a grown up. Um, 
But seriously, though, that is important to know because a lot of people think, and I, I've just I've seen this again with so many of my clients and also myself. They we can think that feelings are failure. That uh. oh, somehow I'm screwing up because I'm still feeling. No, the grief process is is who knows what it is. It's very different and dynamic for everyone, and we also. It can certainty. This is something I say a lot. Certainty is very seductive mm. in the sense that we want to know, oh, I want that, that idea, that perfect idea. Oh, I'm going to, now I know what the future is going to be so I can get on with freaking out about losing all my dreams, which mm -hmm. is again, a huge piece of grief. When we're talking about divorce, it's a, it's a shattering of what we, of our reality. We thought that things were one way we thought this was going to happen. And so it's, it's very, very unsettling and it takes time to put those pieces together. So one of the things that can happen is people want to just pick a new idea. This is why rebound relationships happen. And it's like, no problem. I have zero judgment. I did that. You know, like it happens, but it's, you don't understand that what you're seeking is the certainty that you really can't have yet. But what you can do is you can go toward things that are in a direction that feel good to you, mm -hmm. that feel healthy to you. Right. So yeah, I did this big world tour. I didn't know what was going on. And I honestly, during it, I just intuitively, I checked in with my intuition, even amidst all the pain I was feeling and all the fun I was having and all the wild emotions that were going on. I continued to check in with my emotion, with my intuition. Mm -hmm. And it told me, I have no idea why I'm really doing this, but I feel like I need to see it through. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of times I could have gone home early and just gone to my mom's couch and cried a bunch. And that would have been fine too. It just, my intuition took me another way. Mm -hmm. And I, this goes, uh, it's, that speaks a little bit toward the, I know the last question that you ask also about legacy, but I'll wait to share that point. Oh, I have another question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I'm, I'm prepared. <laughs> you are, you are prepared. Hey, so there's, there's one more point I want to make about these negative feelings. Um, yeah. And the thing is that when we allow ourselves to have them, it, it, we, it isn't about having them so we can just get rid of them. Like what, what embracing destructive emotion that, that it's in us, that it lives in us does, is it also gives us the ability to connect with other people. So we, we, and, if, and when we shut that down, when we shut down those feelings, our ability to connect with other people becomes more limited. Absolutely. And the truth is to be whole and complete human beings, you know, we need to not only allow ourselves to have, you know, sadness, sense of victimization and loss, but if we want to have kind of that experience of connection to something bigger than ourselves and creativity and, uh, you know, that willingness to sacrifice ourselves for others or, or looking for the win-win. And I know, Melody, you know the language I'm talking here. Um, you got to have those things. It's all in the, it's all connected. So the, you know, the reason why you, it's helpful to have those feelings, but not let them have you is that when you have them, you can connect to all that other stuff. And so when we limit any area of ourselves emotionally, it limits all the other areas. You absolutely. can't have one without the other. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things, and I'm going to say two things that I think will be actually 
pragmatically useful, I hope, for people listening is because what do we do, right? How do we, quote, hold ourselves accountable relative to emotional growth? It's like a weird thing, right? It's not like you're doing something literally. I mean, sometimes you are. Sometimes you're doing some ritual or some kind of whatever. But when we're talking about the internal process, one of the things that's really important is accepting our humanity. Mm -hmm. That can be such an emotional salve, but the other reason why we need to accept our humanity is, is not only to give ourselves a break and to truly be able to rest into that acceptance, which allows us to heal emotionally, mm-hmm. is that also, and I don't know about you or how what your core audience maybe resonates with, but I absolutely had the old perfectionist, people-pleasing tendency where other people's needs I would put them ahead of my own. Mm-hmm. And that of course led to breakdowns and loads of different breakdowns in my life and different pain points. But no perfection is not relatable. It is it it actually is a piece and I Brene says it like this, but it is also armor to keep us disconnected from other people. So you talk about the importance of connection. So we have to accept our humanity. What we don't have, I mean, you don't have to, but I, I really implore you to do that, to truly start to try to practice that. And that's a mindset practice. When you see yourself judging yourself, you start to think about these things mm-hmm. and, and know that when given the opportunity to share with other people, you share from that real place as opposed to sharing, how, how are you doing today, Rich? Oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm good. Things are good. Things are good. Just think positive. Just think pot, right? It's okay in safe spaces and safe relationships to allow our deeper and broader and more painful humanity to be seen that is part of the healing as well in my mm. experience love so it not just because of the book but because of all the coaching spaces and therapy spaces and those things that i've done that are clearly part of the healing love it yeah um and so i'm just going to say for my toxic spouse clients the other the other reason why this is so important is you know if you have children with them you're going to need to have some kind of connection with that toxic person. And the whole thing of um, connecting and having empathy and understanding is going to be vital and figuring out how to do that without absorbing all that poison again. All right. So in general, though, folks, I know that people are going to want to find your book. How do they find With Our Whole Broken Hearts, a graphic memoir? (laughs) <laughs> well, they can go to withourwholebrokenhearts.com. That's the direct place to the book. It's on Amazon and all that. Um, but you certainly can go to my website, melaniecurtis.com. Everything's there as well. And that's how they can find you. Yeah. And one thing, I just want to say one last thing, Rich, if it's okay. Of course. Is, is that these are, we talked a lot about mindset stuff, but one one last idea seed I want to plant for people that are listening is that there are skills that we can build and learn that will help us create new futures, right? If we don't learn new skills, we will very likely repeat the same relationship patterns. We will have the same outcomes. And there are, so there are things that we can learn. If we talk about dealing with a toxic person, there are things we can learn about how do I affect boundaries? How does, how do I communicate that? How do I 
engage and connect to empathy while in the face of being wildly triggered by someone I loathe at the moment, you know? So there's, there's stuff that can be done inside those micro experiences. So I just want to plant that seed and Rich is the person to talk to. About That's that. very sweet of you. I, I would, I would add that um, whether you're in a relationship that feels good or bad right now, or whether you're solo, um, that as human beings, we are basically purpose-driven creatures. Um, and my evidence for that is that people who retire usually die within a year of retirement, not because there's a, because the Grim Reaper has got a, a notification board, but because they lose their sense of uh, what their place is in the world. Yeah. You know, they lose their sense. And the people who retire and don't die within a year usually get active in some way, maybe with a charity or they find something that feels purposeful or missional for them. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm going to encourage all of our listen listeners to think about what, what feels purposeful. It doesn't mean that you have to be like, Mother Teresa, like you're on a you're on a divine mission, though you could be like I would honor that. Like I think right. that's super cool. If you have that totally. going on, go for it. Absolutely. But it's just what you know. What gives your life meaning? And along with that, in order to fulfill our purpose, uh, there's a sort of a continuous. And I sound like a like a kaizen guy from Japan. There's a continuous improvement process. You know that we all want to be engaged in. We want to be to the best of our abilities. Uh, improving our relationship with our body, our relationship with our emotions. You know, what's your, uh, what's your emotional, um, what is it? EQ, your emotional intelligence. intelligence That's the word. Yeah. Uh, Cause that the word intelligence is elusive sometimes, <laughs> you know, what, what's, what are you doing with your intellect? Like my mom's 87 and she's like dedicated to crossword puzzles and stuff like that because she knows it keeps her mind sharp. You know, what do you do for your spirit? And I don't necessarily mean religion. You know, yeah. what's your sense of connection to others? It's really about, uh, you know, sometimes when we're going through those, those destructive or negative emotions, we feel like we're the center of the universe. And how could this happen to me? But when we have a connection to, to something bigger, other people, nature, the ocean, trees, whatever it yes. is, we start to realize that, yeah, I'm in pain, but I'm a grain of sand. And you know what? I'm going to make it through this just like all the other grains of sand. You know, what are our values and principles that are driving us through this? And then it comes back to that sense of mission and purpose. Like if we're always improving in these six areas uh, in little ways, little incremental ways, then we're always going to have growth um, and something new and change and shifting. But yeah. boy, it sounds like a lot of work. I don't know, Melanie. <laughs> I know there's a lot of surrender. There's a lot of ups and downs and it's like, you know, not to plug my podcast, but like trust the journey is the name of my podcast. And it's because I think you live long enough. Life kicks the shit out of you. Pardon my French. And you learn that, oh, it really is about the journey. And sometimes the greatest gifts are found in the trenches, who shows up for you, how you get through it, the strength you didn't realize you had all that stuff you hear. It's kind of tough to hear when you're in it. But then once you, once you start to emerge, you're like, oh yeah, that is me. Dang, cool. And so, yeah, I mean, I feel like compelled to share about the legacy I, I thought is that that's something, if we talk about what is, what drives me or what would I hope to be a legacy, it can be lots of different things, but I do care very much about living my life 
fully and wholly, completely as, as contribution, as an example of what's possible. And so that's another thing that like drove me through this period of going, I, what can I do? What, how can I model what being brave, which can sound so trite, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about emotional pain, that is in my view, the bravest work there is when we mm -hmm. actually go to those dark corners and we, and we allow ourselves to feel through with professional support and guidance to help us really, really heal and transform ourselves like that. I am a totally different person than when I wrote this book, you know, and I was already pretty far through my journey. So I'm like, it's, it's a sort of never ending growth process. That's, mm -hmm. that is beautiful and wonderful. And I, I hope that my living it in, inspires other people to, to see what's possible for them too. Well, I won't ask you what's the legacy you want to leave behind then, <laughs> but I will, I will say uh, everybody, if you, the, the links for reaching Melanie for her podcast, for the book, will all be in the meeting notes uh, whether you're watching the video blog or watching the podcast. So if you missed that, don't worry. And um, I will also say, Melanie, that you are one of the most courageous and inspiring people that I know. And I'm so grateful to be your friend and to have you with me today. Thank you Rich, so much. Thank you so much.